Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And this is episode 355, Pax Unplugged 2021 Hotness. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, everyone. Guess what? We're back from PAX 2021. Not a big surprise because you actually saw the title for the episode and I just actually said the title of the episode. But hey, looks like we actually did it. We did a thing. We did. (laughs) We got to the convention. We played some games. We met some people. We hung out. It was weird. It was fun. It was awesome. It was weird. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it ever stopped being weird. And weird is not a problem, but yes, it never stopped getting weird. This was our first convention back. So it was certainly a very surreal kind of experience. I mean, first off, the PAX convention is just gigantic. It's great. It's a wonderful convention. We always have so much fun. It's become our favorite convention of the year to go to. But it is weird to be back amongst all the board games, amongst all the board gamers and of course, a ridiculously giant convention hall full of people during a global pandemic. Mm. So there's that too. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 hard. Yeah, it's it's hard to know how to feel about that because you know, Pax did an awesome job. Um, anytime you saw anybody even remotely close to not having their mask on, right, somebody would just jump. Literally, like they were a camouflage into the wall and jump <laughs> out and be like, "Put your mask on." Nicely, they were very nice about it, but fix it um security was great the flow of people was great like it was just it was very well run and generally felt about as safe as you could in that situation sure and yet you know after spending two years locked in our homes um being out in a big crowd of people did feel a little strange uh but we did it and we played a lot of cool games so that was fun yeah i think there was the first time i ever saw a mask steward somebody yeah. Multiple people, I want to say one, but there was actually multiple people walking around with boxes of masks in case, I guess, you dropped yours or lost yours or something, which I thought was very cool. And Purell everywhere. And I, and everyone was pretty respectful. I think everyone, mm-hmm. you know, did a good job. And again, it's hard because playing board games at a table means you must, you know, you're basically six inches away from everybody else. But I think generally it was a smaller turnout as far as people's concerned, whether that was by design or not. And there were a smaller number of vendors, again, whether it was by design or not. I mean, I think generally we saw large chunks of the room just kind of empty and it did not have like the typical amount of people for packs that we usually have seen in the past, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it was definitely lighter in general in terms of people and um flow uh you know like and from like anecdotally from people i've spoken to who either tried to get booths or did get booths it definitely seems like pax intentionally kept it smaller they didn't accept as many applications for booths there weren't as many people the aisles felt wider much wider in some cases like we walked through when it was still empty and it was like cavernous and then you let the people in there it just you never really rubbed up against people which was nice because that's not comfortable in any circumstances but especially not right now um and the only time it really felt crowded, crowded was Saturday. And, you know, sure. Saturday is always the busiest day of any convention. And that was the only day where it was hard to find a table. It was hard to find a demo because uh, there were a decent number of people there. But like Friday, Sunday, Saturday evening, it was 
not light, but like okay, comfortable. They didn't overpack the place, which was nice. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, packs unplugged, twenty twenty one in the books. Obviously, we have a lot of games to talk about, so that will be our huge feature review here to let you know about all the latest and greatest that hit the tables down there in Philly. And again, Philly is a great city. So if you haven't been down to Philly, go visit Philly. Definitely come down to the convention because there's so much to do outside of Philly and so many great places to eat and so much entertainment. And the city does a really great job. So uh, bravo to everyone involved. Thank you to PAX for having us. Thank you for everyone for being there. And Anthony, we actually got to meet a couple of uh, you know listeners out there as well. Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. Um, we were we were playing a game, and uh, longtime listener of the show, Carlos, came over and introduced himself. So, Carlos, we know you're listening. Thanks for coming over. It was awesome to meet you. Um, and I'm sure we'll repeat your name again in the future <laughs> from our <laughs> questions of the week. Um, but that's always awesome, you know. And anybody who sees us anytime, just please feel free to come over and start up a conversation. That's the, literally the coolest thing that can happen when we go to a convention is being able to talk to the listeners. Uh, cause you all know us a lot more than better than we know you, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know what we play, we know what we're doing. Um, but we want to get to know you guys as well. So that was a lot of fun. And then, uh, we sat down to play a game of, uh, 1923 cotton club, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And one of the players sitting there, Chris, not, not our Chris, but another Chris, we'd actually played a game with three years earlier <laughs> at PAX. Um, and Chris, you know, thankfully remembered and, and we obviously remembered him after the fact, but it, it was really cool. Like just being able to like, it, it's, it doesn't feel as big as it is, you know, packs like you can run into these people. You can see people over and over again. We saw good friend of the show and, and what longtime member of the BGA family, Jason Perez there like eight times. I feel like every time we turned around, we ran into him um, <laughs> or he ran into you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Jason gave me a nice, uh, bear tackle at one point that was fun um <laughs> so like it, you know friends from pittsburgh came over people i know from the area in philly people we know from jersey like it it's not so big that you can get lost in it and never see anybody like a gen con and yet it's still pretty big and there's still a lot to do so i think that's why pax is such a good show and so you know everybody who did come say hi to us everybody we did meet everybody we did hang out with carlos chris uh you guys are awesome, and uh, hopefully we'll see you again at the next PAX or another show even. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think Anthony and I keep talking about doing something very big at PAX. I know we had a, a conversation with Aries Games about doing something at PAX and some of the other publishers because I, we're local. We're local to that area, and we would love to do an event at PAX before, during, after, or something, something fun, something to bring more games to the table and bring more people, something – outside the convention so if for some reason you didn't get a pass to the convention you get to come to some elements of the convention so we'll probably be talking about that as the year goes on because i think we're going to make a conservative effort to do more around the conventions that we do attend so hopefully things hold up hopefully everyone stays well hopefully if you've been to pax hopefully you're well you're doing good and again uh, it was great to see all of you thank you all for coming up thank you all for speaking to us uh, thank you all for mentioning us to all the different publishers out there. It's really nice to hear that you're listening, and we love being part of your life. So, Anthony, let's talk about the games that we want to get. And I guess this is going to be our first look section. 
And we should mention a little bit about First Look and, again, why it makes PAX so special. Yeah, the First Look section is the thing, right, that makes PAX, for me at least, and I'm assuming you as well, we've talked about this constantly. Absolutely. The best of the conventions we go to in any given year. So PAX is uniquely situated uh, two months after Essen. And so what that typically means, and not quite as much this year as in past years, but still a little bit, is that we get the first chance to play dozens of board games that were just released in Europe and maybe even were trying to come here, but they're just hard to find before anywhere else, right? Yes. The two PAXs I had been to before played all sorts of games, like months and sometimes years before we got a chance to play them here. Um, Smartphone Inc., uh, Obsession, uh, the Underwater Cities, like that was just PAX 2018. Like the one that one day we played those three games, <laughs> um, which are now all in my top 100. So it's it's a blast. And it's also like this, you know, thing where we're like trying to find the diamond in the rough. We're looking around. We're trying to find the game, the one that nobody's heard of, the obsession or the smartphone ink that hasn't been picked up yet, that hasn't come to Kickstarter yet. The you know, smartphone ink when we played it that first time was just a small little publisher from Russia that had no copies and nobody had picked it up locally. Nobody knew how to get it, right? And then we played it. We're like, this is amazing. And it kind of gives you that feeling of like, oh, I got a chance to play that before anybody else even sees it. And so that's what First Look is. And no other convention has that. Um, the only other way you could get that is to go to Essen. And even then, that game's more, that convention's more about like walking around and buying stuff than actually sitting down and playing it. So that's a blast. That's what we have the most fun with. And it's probably what we spend the most time doing. Yeah, I think so. I think way back when um, a friend of ours, uh, Carmen from Game Surplus, we were not friends at the time, but I was so endeared by the first look section that, you know, we promoted packs really early on when they were coming out with their first convention. And we were really hoping that this would be a great convention. And we looked through it, we researched it. We had gone to, PAX East many years prior to that. And we were like, we were really big cheerleaders for PAX. And that first look section, again, sponsored by Game Surplus, really kind of put them on the map because it was one of those wonderful opportunities to play games that you would never have an opportunity to play. And they actually trained people to teach you how to play the games, which if you've ever played a board game, and clearly you have because you wouldn't be listening otherwise, <laughs> that's that's the real challenge of, an, of the enjoyment, right? So you sit down, someone's ready to teach you, teaches you the game, you get to play with people at the table, you got the game played months in advance. It's it's just everything that's good about board gaming. So again, thanks to everyone at PAX for teaching and, and working the first look section. That was great. So Anthony, let's actually talk about the games in the first look section. Yeah, yeah. So we got a chance to play um, a bunch of these. Uh, there were a few games there we either could not get to the table, which we can just mention briefly. Um, Boon Lake was one that Everybody was trying to play the new Alexander Fister game and they only had one copy and it was always busy. And some, sometimes people were just waiting around to get in the next game. That's a three hour game. So it's, that was not one we got a chance to play, unfortunately, but it is coming stateside, I think in January. So we'll have copies very soon. Um, coming from capstone and we'll get a chance to play that. Uh, so that was really hot. Uh, the new games from, Board and Dice, uh, Tabanusi, and Origins, the first builders. Those are very hot as well. Uh, several copies available. A little bit long, so we didn't get a chance to play those. Welcome to the Moon was very hot. Uh, that's a game that 
uh, just the third version of the, the welcome to formula that people seem to be digging quite a bit. Um, we try to get in a game of furnace repeatedly <laughs> at three, three tables there of that. And that game was even for sale in the main hall. And uh, so those were all games, you know, there was several others as well, but th- there's a lot of games that people are just like gravitating towards and trying to get their hands on um, before anything else. Uh, but there were several that we did get a chance to play as well. So we wanted to mention those. The first of them is uh, a game out of, uh, I don't actually know exactly where it comes out of, actually. Um, it's about Japan, though. So uh, that's, I was about to say from Japan. It's definitely not from Japan. Uh, Shinkansen Zero Kai. It's designed by uh, Ishra. C and Shay S from Loka Made Studio. Um, they're the designers behind uh, Red Cathedral. So this is a one of their new games. They have several other games that have come out recently. But this one released at Essen, and it is about the uh, construction of the bullet train ahead of the 1964 Tokyo Olympics. So you are doing your part to build the bullet train. Everybody's building the bullet train equally, but you're also creating your own little train car uh, and have different ways to score points based on what elements on the board you've manipulated. So we had, we did have a chance to play this. We found somebody to teach us because we needed that. <laughs> we did. Yeah, no, I, I this, like you said, the, the rule book here was a problem, a serious problem. And again, it was it was good that we had the, the uh, PAC staff there to kind of walk us through that. And it had a lot of elements of games that we had seen previously. I think first class was a, you know, a game that it just popped into my head because you're taking cards to build up your actual bullet train on your own little tableau. And as you build up your train, you're getting special abilities that go along with each section of that train. And I really enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun to build up like your own unique special skills and abilities. But if you don't get one of those really cool, you know, train tiles, you'll be able to use other people's trains as well. And there wasn't like a massive penalty to it. You just end up paying the other player versus playing the paying the bank if there's a cost to something in particular. So that was really fun. Also, the destinations were on the cards. So that tells you what scoring areas you're going to score. So again, like kind of like Concordia, the cards that you draft to use it for their special abilities are also the cards in the game. And then it had this really kind of unique, how would you say it? Like line building situation where you have to clear the tracks and build the tracks and then build the stations and any person could be involved in those different segments so it doesn't just have to be you but as you build the different segments you score victory points for those different segments so i really like this game I, i was surprised it was one of those games that was it seemed like a little too small a little too basic but it was actually a lot of fun And I I think certainly it plays best at the higher player counts because it opens up more of the track areas. There's more competition for the different stations. And you plant these little Olympic torches in the different randomly selected cities. And again, I think that just needs more and more. So I would recommend playing this at a four-player count than the smaller player count because I think it it just diminishes all the different actions that you could take. But otherwise, really great game. Uh, if and when this does come out to the U.S., I will probably pick this up. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it, and it it gave me a similar vibe to Red Cathedral, which is another one of those games. It's like it comes in a small box. It's like $35. And then, and you think you're going to get a light game, but there's a decent amount to it. 
right? And Shinkansen is not a big heavy game, but it's certainly not a light game either. No. So uh, I think that maybe put off a lot of people. Like not a lot of people sat down to play this, but it was one that I had on my radar and I'm glad we got a chance to play it. Absolutely. Bad rule books are a killer. So yes, yeah. excellent. All right. Uh, next one. Uh, and actually the first one we played of the weekend is Prosperity. This is uh, a game of artisanal tea blending that was on Kickstarter uh, not too long ago. And uh, we got a chance to sit down and the designer taught us how to play, uh, walked us through all the different uh, aspects of the game. And th- the basic idea is you are on your turn purchasing some number of tea ingredients. You always get one for free, but if you have enough money, you can get up to four. And then you will complete as many different uh, recipes of tea as you can. And then you're trying to obviously get the most points before the deck runs out. Um, and so it's pretty straightforward in that sense. It's a set collection game. But the the thing that's a little bit of a, a tweak to it is that you can ask other people for their ingredients. And if they say yes and give it to you to help you complete one of your objectives, they get a little token that's worth a point and that acts as a wild ingredient. Um, it's interesting. The artwork was fantastic. Uh, the designer uh, is also the artist or one of the artists on the game. And uh, they, you know, showed us a lot of, of the work that they've been doing. It was a, a prototype we play, but it was very pretty. Um, and it was an interesting take on kind of this small box, pretty food related uh, game <laughs> genre. Um, what did you think? I liked it. Like you said, the graphic design was great. I mean, the designer of the game is a graphic designer. Again, like you said, it's a cute, quick, fast set collection game with really nice pieces in the eventual Kickstarter copy. Uh, some of the cards themselves will look like tea bags. So again, that, that kind of like adds itself to the theme. And then the coins were very nicely printed. Everything's aluminum. The, the game itself is completely recyclable. The one challenge, as you mentioned, Anthony, happens to be the idea that you can ask other players for ingredients in exchange for that wild one-point token, which is required for some of the major bonus points at the end of the game. That being said, a lot of people don't want to do it. They don't want to give you no. points. Nah. And, and like you're looking to make a you're looking to make a tea, and they're looking at the same tea. And you're like, can I have that thing to make the tea? And they're like, yeah, I don't think so. So. I think that's the one problem with it, but otherwise a very nice game. Yep. All righty. Uh, so next one up we played, uh, didn't get a chance to play through the entire game. I think we got through three of the five rounds. Uh, Mobile Markets, a smartphone ink game. Uh, this is the new, they say don't call it a card game version, but it's the <laughs> card game version of smartphone ink. Um, it he told you down, not to say that. <laughs> I know. I, I Robert told us not to go there, but we're going there because that's what it is. And so it's the box is an hour. I think it's probably going to be a little bit longer than an hour based on our experience, but not terribly much longer, and especially not when you know the game. Uh, and similar to smartphone, everything is printed out. It tells you exactly what to do in each phase of the game. It's very straightforward. Uh, and the things that I like most about it. So in smartphone, you have a big sprawling map where you're basically working for area control elements so that you have the ability to sell into different regions here. You don't have to do any of that. Just different customers come out that want different things and you fulfill their needs and their little cards. And the thing that makes it a little more forgiving than smartphone is that you can get private customers that you bring to yourself that only you can sell to. And there's a lot of ways to get them and a lot of customers come out. So maybe the first round or two, you might not get lucky and not be able to sell anything based on the features that you pick up from the technology cards that you pick up. 
but over the course of the game, you'll make money. You know, if you play it poorly, you're not going to do well, but you're not going to just smartphone ink is one of those games that if you just don't price properly, you maybe don't sell anything for half the game. And that's not very much fun. Um, it's a great game once you know how to play it and you don't have those problems, but I've seen it come up for people. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to this one coming out. I think they said origins ish. So mid mid next year here in the States. Um, and it might be a little bit easier to get to the table. Smartphone ink is fantastic. It's one of my favorite games, but it's, it's big. It's a little more time consuming. There's a lot in the box. Yeah, this is definitely de- down the line as far as like it still retains, I would say, most of the complexity of smartphone ink, but certainly streamlines and simplifies some aspects of it. So once we kind of got through the rules, it was very simple as far as, you know, setting things up, putting together all the resources and everything else. I mean, a lot of people, I'm not going to say who, but a lot of people did say that this was their favorite more so than smartphone. Until I actually get to play the full game, I'm going to I'm going to hold back judgment on that. But this is certainly something that I did really enjoy and I would absolutely pick it up as soon as it hits the market because again, it gives you I would say again, the majority of the feel of smartphone, but it doesn't feel ever too cutthroat. It right. gives you a lot of options to sell. Like it's definitely more of the lines of like some so many other games we've seen before. Like we talked about Asian railroads and things like that, where it's like, hey, we just want you to be able to play the game. As Anthony was saying, like you're not going to find yourself completely walled off from the market. You can have private clients. You can build up a whole bunch of you know private clients and customers throughout the game. And there's a bunch of different victory point conditions. So this this is a better entry-level game for smartphone at the very least which again is not radically more complex or less fun it's just a little different yeah yeah and it'll be interesting to see i I, I mean scratch that i'm sure it'll do better than smartphone because it'll cost less and be more accessible and play quicker but it'll be interesting to see how many people end up owning both Um, I i will I yeah, will. Like, <laughs> we will, but we're crazy, so I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I, I think, you know, this is kind of akin to terraforming Mars, I guess, mm-hmm. Ares Expedition, where it's just the card-esque version of terraforming Mars. Is it better than terraforming Mars? I mean, I mean, to each its own, but it, it's definitely more portable. It's definitely more uh, refined. It's definitely you can get to the table with a lot more people. So by those kind of metrics, yes, it is better. But again, obviously, there's always an experience that you want to like lay out the big board and the table and really go for it. And that's what Smartphone Inc. and Terraform Mars excels at. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, next one up on the list, we have 1923 Cotton Club. So this comes from Looping Games, which is known for making like decently chunky games in little tiny boxes so i've played 1987 channel tunnel from them um they also uh were involved with fantasy realms which is pretty famously um kind of jumped up on the list recently uh 1906 san francisco and so this is their newest game and it's about opening and running a uh, nightclub in 1920s so you are it's basically a worker placement game where you will use your three workers and go into various markets to purchase one of four different types of cards. 
there are individuals, um, booze, <laughs> various types of alcohol, and then celebrities and entertainers. Uh, and you'll use different resources to kind of purchase those. Once you purchase a card, it goes into your own personal tableau and it gives you more icons, more abilities, more things you can do with it. You're also moving up various different tracks that give you those resources to do things. So it's fairly light. Um, it, I think the box says an hour. I think we spent a little bit more than an hour, but we were also kind of learning the rules. So pretty quick, pretty accessible and not exactly lighting the world on fire in terms of new mechanics, but I did appreciate, you know, it had nice artwork. It used all historical figures. Um, it wasn't just mobsters and gangsters. You also had like political figures. You had famous jazz musicians, um, which was very cool. And it, it kind of blended all those things together pretty nicely. So like thematically, it, I feel like it worked with its mechanics. Um, it's, you know, at the end of the day, still just kind of like a basic economic style worker placement game, but fun. Yeah, I, I think, as you said, it's they they rate as a 2.0 weight, and I kind of get that, but also at the same time, it's it's a challenging game because, again, as you mentioned, Anthony, there's like five different areas to kind of choose from to build up your own personal tableau of icons. And then there's, you know, we're looking at, I think, at least four different tracks if you add in the victory point track. So you have to kind of manage your reputation you have to manage you know who goes first and that's really key in this kind of game because selecting the card you need or the best card that's available is essential in this game but there's also you know notoriety i mean you don't want to be noticed you don't want to be a mm -hmm. bad person on that bad track because you're going to take negative victory points there is one of those weird kind of mechanics where like you can kind of shoot the moon if you reach like all the way down, but don't go over, then you don't get any kind of like negative points from that. But generally it's a really, as you said, a really decent, good game in a very small box. And you can certainly play it with a lot of people. But again, like you said, there are mobsters, there are guns in the game. Not that you shoot anybody in the game. It's just a set collection game. That being said, it is very much based upon what the market pops out so and mm -hmm. where your player order happens to be. So there is a lot of that kind of like luck and randomness as far as that's concerned. You also should know that you should have at least four guns in your tableau as early as possible because yep. we discovered as, as we got through the game that a lot of the cards, I mean a lot of the cards, especially the uh, – all the, the the drinking cards you know the alcohol all the bootleg kind of cards the good cards at the end require four so yeah. as the game goes on you can get more guns but it gets a lot more dangerous to get a lot more guns so yeah i i, I like it the bonus conditions that come into play the cards that come out you get a, a handful of cards that will give you opportunities to score different things each round i love that mechanic but the problem is not everyone's getting good victory point cards. Some people are just getting, hey, you get two bucks for things. And that's good really yeah. early on, but not late in the game. So it's it's a it's a bit of a mixed bag. If you like, you know, that kind of tableau building, racing up the tracks and, you know, wild and crazy markets and wild and crazy victory points, this game's for you. It's a good game. It's not a buy for me, but it's it's certainly a definitely I will play this. Yeah, yeah. I I honestly think I might pick this up, if only because it'll be inexpensive. It's a small box, um, and there's a fair amount of stuff in that box. And, I, you know, you could probably, 
house rule it a little bit. Maybe just like ensure everybody's hand of five cards has at least two scoring cards. Yeah. Like separate the decks or something. Um, but that, yeah, that was a problem. At least one player at the table had no scoring cards in their starting hand. And so, of course, they can't work towards points. Whereas I had three out of my five. So yeah. I could work towards those points. Um, I didn't gotcha. win the game, but I was pretty close. So uh, that was a good one. Um, probably my favorite, at least personally, uh, of the ones that we played in the first look area. And I re- found out today is actually available now. So I'm trying to figure out where I want to order it from <laughs> is uh, Living Forest. So this is designed by Os Christensen and uh, published by Ludonaut. And it's basically Mystic Veil, but more family friendly and uh, a little more forgiving on several fronts. So you're you're going to start with uh, a hand of, I think, 10 cards. And it's, again, Mystic Veil. It's got icons on the side. You're going to place them out one at a time. You decide when you stop. If you get three of the night tokens, you bust. And when you stop, you then count up your various tokens or your various icons on your cards, and you use those as resources to take various actions. The sun icon will let you buy new cards. The water icon will put out fire. If you don't put out fire, then the fire is going to burn you and it's going to clog your deck with bad cards. Uh, The tree icon lets you buy new tiles that go onto your little personal forest tableau. Uh, And there are multiple different win conditions that you can potentially um, work through. So if you get 12 unique trees, you could win. If you get 12 points on your cards in your tableau at any point, you can win. If you get 12 fire tokens that you've put out, you can win. So it's a race game, right? Uh, It's quick. It's accessible. It's very cute. The beautiful artwork on there with the animals. Um, Yeah, I like this game a lot. I was surprised. And it's one we like walked past like 20 times before we asked somebody for a recommendation and this is what they gave us. So uh, I'm definitely going to pick this up once I can find it. Yeah, no, I, I agree as well. Living Forest was a pleasant surprise. As you mentioned, it is certainly along the lines of, of all of those kind of like card building games that you kind of put together. But it also adds a little bit of a spatial element because you're building your own particular board. So you're able to put trees in there that gives you bonuses. Again, it's still very Mystic Veil, right? Mystic Veil, yeah. you get those kind of bonus cards that sit with you throughout the game. The fire condition is kind of a fun condition because as that fire builds up, as a as just a people at the table, you want to be able to put that fire out because that's a win condition. But obviously, that also fills up your deck. But there's also a way to get rid of those cards. So it's, as Anthony said, it's a, a very forgiving card-building game. The artwork is beautiful. The standees are a little iffy. I wish they would have went with something different, but generally a very good, a very, very good game. This is definitely a buy for me. I think you could pick this up at miniature market for like $32. So yep. uh, that's probably where uh, I'll be looking for this unless I pick up a game nerds, but I think that's on pre-order. So there's a, there's a couple of places you could pick it, but yes, this is, this is one of the better games that I play at the con. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Uh, couple more that we played in the first look section. Um, one, just real quick, because we played it late at night. It was fine. Uh, I don't think either <laughs> one of us was wowed by it. And that's Luna Capital. This was uh-huh. from Devere. And this was specifically because someone recommended it to us. And they said, it's like Cascadia, but all this extra stuff added. So I was like, well, I have to play that because I love Cascadia. And they're not wrong. It is like Cascadia. On your turn, you're going to draft a card plus one to four tiles that go into your tableau. But unlike Cascadia, it's not really very elegant. It's got just all these random systems and stuff. The scoring 
I feel like if you play it enough, the scoring will make more sense, but it's certainly not as clean and simple as a game like Cascadia. It adds complexity for the sake of complexity. And while I think I would enjoy the solo puzzle of it, I don't think I would enjoy playing this like with three or four people. Like we play with two and it was okay, but it, it was still, I don't know, like even going for the various like goal cards, it just felt like, okay, well, I'm going to get this one that takes eight turns in eight turns because I know it's what I'm doing. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's it was like a play for me. I would certainly play it solo, but I don't know that I'm going to go out and buy it because I do have Cascadia and I love Cascadia, so I don't need this. <laughs> I love the sci-fi theme. I like the cutesy nature to it. I generally like that kind of building up your own physical tableau. So when you walk away from the game, you're like, oh, I remember when I did that thing. Right. I, I think it definitely suffers from small player counts. Anthony did one thing, and I did the complete opposite. And he scored a lot of points, but I scored more points. But I think that you sincerely need a four-player count game to enjoy this because you Ugh. do need the interaction and diversity of people going for the same thing. Because I just think that it limits the game's success if it's just a matter of a, of a race of who can get the stuff that they want, you can equally split it up. So I think this might be still a play, but I'm kind of done with it. I feel like I played it, I enjoyed it, and now I'm done with it. Yeah, same. I think same. <laughs> I'm glad we played it too, because I was like, after the recommendation, I was like, maybe I'll pick that up. And I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> so, uh, all right. And then the last one we played in the first look section, um, which I think we both liked, is Korra, Rise of an Empire. So Korra is a game from Yellow that came out a little bit earlier this year, and it is a civilization-building game, uh, specifically Ancient Greece. And you have multiple different tracks that you're trying to move up on. So there's like culture and military and economy. Um, and each of those is going to correspond to various different things, that you, separate tracks on the main board. Um, your total troop strength and your taxation level and your glory points and your citizens. So there's like seven or eight tracks you're keeping track of, plus your development track on your own personal uh, Civ card. Uh, and the really cool thing about the game is, yeah, you're managing all those tracks, which is a little fiddly. But the really cool thing about the game is that there are cards that you place into a tableau. You will we'll start the game with five in your hand to choose from um, that are drafted out. But you can also take new ones into your hand based on these actions and you can then play one or more per round down and create your own little tableau and basically create an even more asymmetrical uh, civilization. Um, the actions are pretty cool as well. You start with two dice, you roll those, and then you can take one of seven actions on these little tiles based on the die rolls that you played. Um, you can tweak those as well. So it's fun because you have a lot of variability. There are several things that you're racing towards against each other. There's no like direct, direct interaction other than like trying to get these various um, military conquests before someone else can get them. And then there's some achievements that you can achieve before other people, but it plays pretty quickly. It's like an hour and a half at, at the most. And it's fairly straightforward in terms of rules. Like once we kind of knocked down the rule book, it was pretty quick to pick up. So, yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised by this. Yeah, I like this game for many reasons. First off, it was kind of funny because 
This is a yellow, the you know, the game company here, expert. It's it's kind of like in bold letters, it's expert. And I was like expert level. Yellow made an expert game. Oh man, we have to play this. And the production is yellow, right? The product yellow does a really nice production. The artwork is beautiful, the graphic design is on point. And again, and Anthony and I might have to do a list on this. These games that allow for at least on the player boards or, or even on the main board where they have these kind of built-in stages. So you just got to follow through the procedure and it's printed out there for everyone are fantastic because mm-hmm. I could just sit down and play this game any, any at any point in the next five years and just instantly come back because obviously there are rules on the board, but also because it's it, it, it flows thematically through. So again, this is an action selection game. So very much like your Race for the Galaxy, where you you pick a particular action you want to take, but everyone gets to pick their own actions in, in turn order. And mainly, as Anthony says, it's based on those tokens times your glory, and you score all your points. What's really fun about this is, and I really like the idea, is that they have these really nice chunky cardboard, different. I don't know if we would call them factions, and not necessarily countries, but depending on the civilizations that you're able to kind of pop in here they have some different developments and special abilities nothing too crazy but it allows for that asymmetry that really kind of like makes you want to come back and play a different race this is another game as anthony mentioned that it's about conquest so military yeah. is a big role in this game and you'll see the military track on here you could probably win without it but you definitely need it you need to be able to get tokens yeah. So another good game. This is probably going to be a buy for me because, again, like I said, this is a game that I could certainly throw down the table to almost anybody. I think even family could play this as well. It's it's not that complicated. Yeah, I'm on the fence with this one. The I don't love games that are like, no, no, you can win in any of the different tracks, but really you have to do military. You have to. You right? do. Because half the event cards in the deck are whoever has the most military gets a thing. Whoever has the least loses a thing, which we see in almost every Civ game. But it drives me a little crazy because there's no equal balance for whoever has the most culture or most economy. It's like, no, it's military because thematically that's the one they would come and take that from the people who have the least. Makes sense thematically. But as somebody who doesn't like building up a military in games, I I don't know. I get frustrated with it because I love Civ games, but I don't want to just play a war game. Sure. Um, so I need to play this more to know if I can win without doing military. But I do love the mechanics. It was a lot of fun to play the game. And it might be another faction. There might be a better faction mm. to do. Not, I mean, I had the Spartans, so I had to yeah. go to military. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> I was like, all right, Spartans, the military? But I guess I could have not done that, but you still need to do that. Because it wasn't an overpowering military action. Mine was just basically I lost one less troop. I think you you had something that was like, at the beginning of the game, it gave you two troops or something like that. You had something. Right. Yeah. I started with three troops um, I, yeah. and I didn't use them right away because I focused on economy, which was a mistake. But uh, yeah, I definitely want to try it again for sure. Absolutely. All right. So those are the games that we took a look at the first look section. Obviously, a, a couple of games that we definitely want to pick up here. Some bullet trains, some mobile markets, definitely some living forests. And definitely for me, Korra Rise of the Empire. So, Anthony, what about the cool stuff that we saw, man? You know, all the cool stuff that was hanging out around? <laughs> yeah, so um, for us, at least, uh, a, usually a pretty significant chunk of any convention is walking the Expo Hall. Um, obviously, we're talking to publishers, we're taking meetings, we're interacting with other media and, and 
listeners and everybody else. But we're also just looking for cool stuff. Cool right? stuff. Cool stuff. <laughs> right. And, it's, it, you know, it's not Gen Con. So we don't have like 50 foot statues of game characters, but there was some cool stuff. Uh, so obviously we didn't play. I think we might have demoed a couple of these, um, which we'll mention. But for the most part, these are just cool things we saw. Um, the first one, and we kept like circling back by it. and We never really stopped to, to demo it. But I took several photos, which you can find on our uh, Facebook, is Aldara Reborn. This And so in my notes, it just says big airship game Um, (laughs) because this was the big airship game. There's a giant board and these miniatures that are like the size of my fist. And there's like 50 of them. These airships just moving around on these hexes. Ridiculous looking, but very cool. Yeah, I saw this from like a way, way, way distance. I'm like, Anthony, look at that, man. Look, Look at that. And again, the board could manage it although i don't know if a table could manage it i don't know what size <laughs> table you would need from it but it was certainly one of those bigger bigger games at the table and at the convention so always fun to see really bright colors the models look great so i don't think this is going to be something that's going to be hitting my table just because again i can only imagine the cost of such a thing right but it otherwise is... yeah yeah it's coming to kickstarter sometime soon like they have their preview page up so you can follow it um but they had full-blown prototypes three 3d printed prototypes there to play and people were all about it sounds good uh total roam the board game uh this wasn't like crazy big airships but it was this ginormous map of rome the roman empire and if you haven't played any of the total war games um it's just massive real-time strategy games um with hundreds sometimes thousands of troops hitting each other at the same time and so this is the total war rome which is the kind of the the flagship of the series although now they have the warhammer uh series of those as well which are very good um they're making a board game version of it i don't know how how it's going to play out rts being brought into board games have mixed results but if you know if they do it properly it could be very cool yeah i think so I'm not, I'm a little hesitant on this one too, because anytime they try to bring a video game over to a board game, it was nice to see, but I don't know if, I don't think there's any mechanics that truly carry over. So cautious optimism, Anthony, cautious optimism. Yep. Me too. (laughs) All right. uh, Here's another one that we kind of, we walked by several times and we're like, what? Um, Velocity Vanguard. This is a giant hex map with big old capital ships. Uh, so this is uh, another Kickstarter coming soon. Um, physics-based space board game that they say the, the gameplay is quick. It's uh, it's not supposed to be the you know like a long sprawling 4x type of game. It's like an hour-ish to three hours tops. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> <We'll see. laughs> um, but yeah, it was very like the, the artwork and the, uh, graphic design style, um, caught my attention for sure. Yeah. It was a very nice graphic design style. I was really enthralled by how they kind of put the boards together. It was these modular pieces that kind of popped in and out. So you could add new technologies. You could upgrade those technologies. You could add different leaders and factions that came into play it had this really interesting sideboard. I'm not even sure necessarily what it does. I think, like you said, we're we're looking at, I guess, gravity or how kind of the ships kind of play into that kind of larger grid area they play into. Again, 
really cool looking, lots of fun, you know, shoot 'em up kind of battle stuff. I'm not sure. Like again, it lo- it looks so much like <laughs> Twilight Imperium that I was like, are yeah. you trying to be Twilight Imperium? Because when a lot of people do that, that ends badly for them. But right, <laughs> I don't know. I'm looking forward to a uh, full game review or playthrough because I think again, it's 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 fun, right? You get these three ship classes, and they have all these unique strengths and factions and stuff, and awesome. Love that kind of stuff. But again, it's a lot of just you know, did my ship point in the right direction? And I have those games already. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, but it was pretty, so we had to mention it. Uh, next up, we have one game that we did give a try, and another one that we just kind of looked at, um, but was very cool looking, is Mythic Mischief, and from the same company at the table behind us, Veiled Fate. So Mythic Mischief was uh, like an asymmetrical game where you have one of these little fantasy races, vampires, monsters, witches, ghosts, and um, several different you know action points and abilities, and you're running around and trying to pick up these uh, things and uh, avoid the tome keeper who's trying to capture you. Um, it, it's it's basically an abstract strategy game, but with a lot of chrome around it, like very cool looking miniatures. Um, again, Kickstarter coming, uh, bringing this game out soon. And then the other game, uh, let's throw in here that we didn't have a chance to play, but looked very cool. Um, although it's more of like a you know, hidden role deduction type of a game is Veiled Fate, which they had the big wooden board for, um, which we took several pictures of as well, because it was just a very cool looking um, presentation. It's a little of a lighter, you know, wider party type of game. It's not a party game, but, you know, like a bigger group type of game. But uh, it looked very interesting. Yeah, both these games look beautiful. I remember seeing veiled faith on kickstarter it was like that looks awesome gameplay looked very light though for the price and that's that was like one of those kickstarter kind of situations and then seeing mystic mischief at the table and getting the opportunity to play all these different kind of unique factions like you get to play the ghosts or the witches or the zombies the gobs or all these different kind of mythical races and stuff like that was a lot of fun again I wouldn't play it at two player ever again because I think that this certainly needs a four player thing because otherwise it's almost too basic of a game. It's just a little too simple. And again, beautiful game in all kind of ways, but kind of expensive as far as Kickstarter is a concern for something that just uh, move a couple of pieces around the game. Yeah. Uh, so next up, we saw Phantom Inc. from Resonim. Uh, this was a party style game. Um, kind of reminded me of like if you crossed up I don't know, like code names or uh, Pictionary with uh, uh, like what uh, you're a ghost, basically trying to give people um, clues in a word game. So like Mysterium plus code names or something. Uh, clever, interesting. I-, I would like to try it at some point. They didn't have it for sale or anything, but they had a nice big uh, whiteboard there for us to check it out. So that was interesting to see. Yeah, n- another kind of cute word game. Um, the big one that we saw that they were, they, they had like a Gen Con quality booth, like a big production that they put together was Funko Games was there with the, the legacy of Isla Nublar, um, the, uh, Jurassic World legacy game that's hitting Kickstarter from them in March. Um, so we didn't get a chance to play it. They weren't letting people play, but they gave a pretty extensive demo and, uh, kind of walked us through and answered a lot of questions and. It's interesting. Like we've seen a lot of people try legacy since 
risk and pandemic legacy came and conquered and nobody's really managed to pull it off. I'm really, really interested to see if this pulls it off. I think this is their first Kickstarter. Am I am I correct on that, Anthony? I don't remember F- Funko doing a Kickstarter before this. I don't believe so. No, I think this. I think you're right. I think this might be the first one. Yeah, and and again, Jurassic Park is an is a nice one for this because at least, and again, this may be a pure demo copy. And obviously, since it's a legacy model, we didn't get to go into like the good stuff. We got to see like the first initial round stuff, which is basically like, hey, you need to accomplish a couple of these basic missions that lead into the movies of Jurassic Park. But if you like that series, this actually, I guess, plays somewhat canonically with the movie series and such. Like, you'll actually play some of the real characters, some of the real themes, some of the real story points. So that's great. The miniatures look okay. They look like really kind of well, high-level miniatures. And then there's a lot of surprises. So we were not allowed to look at the folders. As I said, we were not allowed to play with the game. I did play with it when they weren't looking. But (laughs) yeah, I know. So again, I think this is going to be one of those situations where we have to wait and see to the legacy elements come out. I think we're going to get a preview copy, at least Anthony, right? Like a, a demo preview copy to go through at some point early in the year. So hopefully we'll have some more information for you about that. But again... This game is supposed to be played in such a way that after you go through all the missions, you actually have a playable board at the end. Charterstone. But hopefully better <laughs> than that, because that did not work well. It, it seems like it will be, yeah, because it's they're going the co-op route, which is the way to go, I think, with legacy games. Um, that, I again, disagree. I like risk with the, with the legacy element. I, I, I hold to that. Yeah, I mean, risk worked, but it's the one yeah. that worked. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, All the other legacy games that have worked have been co-op. So it'll be interesting to see how it works. Um, They mentioned it starts like 20 something years before the first movie. And like when they're building the island and then ends well after the current movies, it goes through all the movies from the first all the way through the one coming out now, not including the new one coming out next year. So it's it's a long 12 scenario campaign. They said 24 to 40 hours of content. Um, we don't know the cost yet, but it looked good. It did look good. So we will see how it kind of plays out. What do you just speculate here, Anthony, just for just for just for the listeners at home? What do you think cost wise? Oh, it's a big company and they'll have scale on their side. So I'm hoping no more than 80. OK, I I think if they go 100 plus. Uh, no, I'll burn no. them if they do, because that's a big company. They don't need to do that. Right. So and they're going to produce a lot more than these than they need to on Kickstarter. Yeah, it's weird that they're going to Kickstarter. I get it. it like is. Again, it's, it's it's one of those things where how many copies of this do you produce, especially when it's a costly model to it. But it seemed like it was something that they were really trying to establish themselves in the board gaming industry as more than just like Funko games, right? They want to be more than the Funko universe. I'm going to go just below that. I think 75. Mm. I think, I I think that they're going to look for a price point that is just above what you would pay in a store. And that's why they're going, that's why they're going there. I think I I agree with you, Anthony. I think you, you make the right point. Like they do have scale. They do have the money to just, drop a much lower price at the table so i think 75 everything's going to come in the game i asked specifically is there exclusives is there 
you know, extras and it, there's nothing. Everything's in the one box. So I think 75. I think it's I think we're going to see something very close to what we saw with League of Legends mm. where they just produce a really high quality game that should not be that price. No. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing is people complain about prices sometimes, but like these big expensive games, big euros and stuff, they're making like 5, 10,000 copies. A company like this, they might decide to make 50 or 100,000 copies and then it gets much cheaper. Absolutely. All right, what's next? Uh, so just a quick hit real quick. Um, Bigfoot Rollin' Smash. I don't know if the game will be any good, but it has little tire dice that I couldn't stop playing with. You literally roll the die, and it looks like a tire from Bigfoot. That was cool. Yeah, it was becoming a problem. Everyone was worried about you, Anthony. Security came <laughs> over and everything. Yeah, I didn't like... take one, though. I was tempted, though. I'm just going to borrow this. <laughs> um, and then Frosthaven had a pretty big presence. People could sit and play. They had their big, like, 3d printed physical map that they'd made and people were lining up to play this all weekend um i did not partake of frosthaven i've still yet to finish gloomhaven but i know a lot of people are very very excited about this so um i'm excited with them on their behalf yeah i had i there was a moment for me as a kid where that was a thing uh sadly that's no longer a thing but the the tire dice are pretty amazing i i agree with that absolutely all right, so yeah, Bigfoot and Frosthaven there. Uh, moving on to the stuff that was for sale. So uh, these are the games. So that everybody always asks, like, what are the big games that people were buying? And so this is our chance to kind of mention those. Some of the games we've already talked about were for sale. You could buy Luna Capital, uh, for example, that was for sale at the booth there. Um, but for the most part, like these are the ones that we saw people carrying around with them. And we just kind of want to mention real quick, we did not play or demo all of these, although some of them we did bring home with us and we will be reviewing them in short order uh, in the next couple months. So first up, Picture Perfect. This was over at the Arcane Wonders booth along with Furnace. Those were the two big games that they had. Uh, Picture Perfect, we did demo. It's Chris, you called it kind of like an activity more than a game. So absolutely. <laughs> yep. Uh, but it was a fun activity. I enjoyed the activity, but you are yeah. right. The more I thought about it, the more I was like, I don't need to own this, but it was fun. So. I agree. No, I agree. It was fun. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then Furnace, again, we both have copies of this. We will get it to the table soon. We could not play at, we tried. We tried multiple times, but we could not get it to the table at uh, PAX. And they did sell out of copies on Saturday. So it was a hot game there. Um, Bitoku is the big box release that Devere had along with Luna Capital. And this one was, they had a giant pile of them. Um, and, and we were able to bring home a copy of this. We will be playing this sometime soon. It is a beautiful, but very busy looking game. So we were a little overwhelmed looking at it, or at least I was personally. But mechanically, it looks interesting. And I am eager to try it out. Yeah, I think that's just one of those games where... It's either going to make sense and flow nicely and you're going to be able to see what you want to do and there's not there's not, you know, record breaking AP or you just it's a what what do you call thing? Magic eye posters. Right. Where you just stick it on the wall and you just gaze at it and you lose yourself in the background. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Um. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of the Praga Caput Regni map, but more, even more than that. And if you go back to my review of that, that was like 
it's too much, too much color in my eyes. Um, and this is a lot of that. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, all right. Uh, Final Girl. Uh, this was the follow-up to Hostage Negotiator with like a horror theme where you are the final girl, you know, the, the trope in horror movies, uh, surviving the killer. Um, and I did pick up a copy of this along with a couple modules. So I'm very excited to play this as a solo game. Get back to my solo roots. Hostage Negotiator was one of my early solo games. Um, so they sold out of most of this and a lot of people were very excited to see it there. Uh, Faza was a cool looking like retro style artwork uh, cooperative game in which you're fighting off uh, an alien invasion. We got a chance to demo this one, right? Yeah, this was a lot of fun. It was a mix of, uh, you know, your pandemic mechanics, a little bit of your Forbidden Island mechanics. And basically, you take your player, you have a couple of different special cards to give you special abilities, but it's also your life counter. And the aliens are just destroying the Earth, so you have to fight back. But again, the unique artwork and graphic design really popped. It's, it's very orange, but very orange in the best way possible. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was really cool looking. You know, it's uh, I love the aesthetic of it. Uh, next one up was Mantis Falls uh, from Distant Rabbit Games. This is a two to three player hidden role deduction style game uh, in which you are working together until you're not. But two to three players. So very interesting spin on the mechanic. Uh, it, like one of the quotes they put on the, their poster was a brilliant experiment that somehow works. Um, so I did bring home a copy of this as well. I'm very much looking forward to getting it played and letting you all know how it works. Um, this is one, though, that I heard multiple people talking about, and it's kind of what drew us over to that booth, because it was a smaller booth in the corner, but a lot of people were buzzing about this game. Uh, another one people were buzzing about that also sold out is That Time You Killed Me. This was from Pandasaurus Games, and it's an abstract game, like pure and simple it looks like chess or onitama or something like that but the the hook of it is you have three separate boards one is the past one is the present and one is the future and so actions you take in the past or the present will affect boards further on right and then there's other mechanics you bring in there there was like elephants with hats or something there's trees you could plant seeds and it would grow into a tree that you could knock into your opponent like all these crazy mechanics and these different modules you could layer in and I, w I was actually going to pick this up on Sunday. Like I talked myself into it and they had sold out. So um, looking forward to trying this when I could get a chance to track it down. Uh, it was weird though, right? It was like a, it was like an abstract game. It was like a lot of weird stuff they layered in. Yep. Um, all right. In the CGE room, they had the Lost Ruins of Arnak Expedition Leaders expansion and the new version of Galaxy Trucker. Um, brought both of these home with us as well. So we're playing these very shortly. Like very, very shortly. I tried to get expedition leaders to the table last night and just ran out of time. Um, very excited for that one. And uh, Galaxy Trucker, y'all know what we think of Galaxy Trucker, but we're going to try the new version and let you know <laughs> if, if it's any better um, than it has been in the past. Uh, Midara was, it's, it's on Kickstarter several times. I think three Kickstarters now they've run. Um, Unintentional Malum is the subtitle for that. And it's a big, sprawling JRPG-style dungeon crawl. Uh, and they managed to sell almost all of their ginormous, super expensive boxes of this thing. 
um, big giant booth in the middle of the in the area. And I know everybody was hyped about it because, you know, we, we did bring home a copy and several people stopped to talk about how they wish they could have picked it up as well. So <laughs> a lot of people saw that one. Very interested. Um, we'll see how it plays. Uh, Jason uh, Perez, who we mentioned earlier, friend of the show, he told us it's one of his favorite dungeon crawls, period. So I'm interested to wow. see if if that's possible from the co-op guy. Uh, the capstone booth had like 20 some odd new games or something like that. Um, we're trying to get clay to show us like, what's new. He's like, everything's new. They're all new. So there was Imperial steam. They had all the, the rails games. They had corrosion, uh, just all sorts of new stuff. Um, several of which we, we do have copies of. We'll be playing in the near future and letting you know about, uh, the night cage was another one along with the spill from um, Smirk and Dagger, the games that people were talking about. I know a friend of mine picked up the Night Cage, took that home. He's very excited about it. And then one more, uh, Witchstone from R&R Games. Uh, this is the new game from Reiner Knizia and uh, looked interesting. We did not get a chance to try it out, but it's a Knizia game. It's relatively abstract. Lots of pretty cubes on a board. Uh, but... Lots of people were playing that, and they had several copies in the first look section as well. All right. So, again, a lot of great game at PAX. Hopefully you get the opportunity to get these table. Uh, before we head out, big shout-out to the Philly Game Shop that hosted us before PAX Unplugged, and especially our teacher, Trevor, who uh, taught us Ginkopolis. I had played before Anthony had not and really loved the game, so that was a big time too. A shout-out to our friend Jess, who did Improper Nouns, a new game that she produced that's coming out. Uh, we'll have more information on that as we follow up. And again, big thanks to Pax Unplugged, all the enforcers, all the teachers, all the listeners out there, all the vendors and game players who came out there, and really a great, great time for everyone involved. All of the games that we've talked about, we will have reviews at the very least previews, but definitely reviews coming up. So stick with us as we talk about the latest and greatest in board gaming. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at PAX Unplugged 2022. See ya. Bye.